0: So apparently, people on the internet have opinions about logos uh I have
1: encountered that before <laughs> <laughs> and today i this is yes. actually i really I really enjoy it. i mean listen there's we know that when uh anything changes, people don't like it
0: yeah, absolutely. And so for some context, we're recording January sixteenth we're recording, which is the day that Slack updated their logo um, to a more corporate cleaner simpler uh, version of the logo and their brand their messaging around it from the pr people who are writing blog posts and stuff i thought was really good and that they really embraced the like the like we know people don't like change and we don't expect you to love this right away uh we think it makes sense uh but uh yeah kind of sorry guys we gotta have a new logo now and that i that to me i think really was on point as far as like they understood how people were going to react. They knew, it, as opposed to a lot of brands, when they introduce a bad logo, their PR people will end up writing something about how much you're going to love it and how it's just so amazing. And then you look at it and you're like okay, so they need to be told how much I don't like this. Whereas <laughs> I, what I've been seeing is not people yelling at Slack because they're like, oh, you don't understand how it's actually worse. It's much more people being like, oh, and, and which is what my sort of my read on is like, oh, right. Slack isn't the cool hashtag and purple company that it was when I first you know, became a Slack user slash fan. Now it's trying to make giant enterprise sales deals and uh, it should have a relatively generic uh logo that doesn't offend anyone and it's like oh eh,
1: that's a little sad yeah so i i know i started out by saying that no one likes change ever uh which is true But not liking change does not also mean that the thing that changes is necessarily better. (laughs) You you cannot like something and not like change because, you know, because it's not good. You might think
0: that you don't like getting punched in the face because you, but it's just that you weren't previously getting punched in the face and it's really just a change that we've, we've made. Yeah, that is a good point. Just because people don't like
1: change does not mean the change was good. And I think this is bad. (laughs) I think this is pretty bad. Uh, I don't think their logic is great. I don't think that their reasons are great. I think that the real reason is much more what you said than what they said. Uh, I think the new logo is extremely generic looking. Uh, It doesn't say anything really to me i get that it's supposed to be you know like kind of chat bubbly but that's not even what i associate with slack and i think that um you know i i've seen a bunch of different responses uh to this uh, but the one that that um and i agree with a lot of them i just don't think this is good but the one that spoke to me the most was something that uh friend of the show john gruber said on daring fireball which is that 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 not only did slack own the s and not only did slack own the octothorpe hash whatever you want to call it but Slack owned plaid for a lot of people. And <laughs> yes. the, the proof of that is that they made some socks that I remember very well that were like just plaid. I have five <laughs> pairs of those socks. Do you and really? They're amazing. Yes. And like that was a thing, right? And so I just to throw all that away uh, for what is to my eye a incredibly middle of the you know nothing i don't know if brand new's done anything about it i'm curious if they will but just like i'm sure i'm pretty
0: sure they will it's pretty big and there are a lot of people talking about it my guess would be brand new is the site that we talked about previously that does logo reviews and they at least do a little blurb i think often about
1: yeah they'll definitely get into this high profile things probably next week sometime but like so i just don't i i'm prepared to change my mind but my initial reaction is it looks very generic the icon on the uh, ios and mac os don't love it uh and i i don't i just don't think that this was a good idea but then again i'm not in their boardroom or wherever they're getting told that that this is you know whatever research told them they needed to do this i i i yeah it's
0: a you have to um, so i'll i will link obviously the this new logo for anyone who doesn't have it in front of them and cares to hear more commentary on the logo for some <laughs> product they may or may not use. But the the thing that I compared to was the Microsoft logo, which when the, the current Microsoft logo launched, which is the most, like in one way, like almost nothing. It's four squares in a grid, each are red, green, blue, and yellow, and... There's nothing distinguishing about it at all. It, it's it's like, a, it's like almost nothing like Spinal Tap, could it be any more black type logo. But over time, like, you start to kind of just like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. It's Microsoft. It sort of references the Windows thing. No, but
1: here's, here's the difference. Here's the difference is that to your point, exactly what you just said, that is a incredibly simplified version of a logo that was already very well known. So they had the the going back all the way to god knows when the Microsoft Windows logo was those four colors in kind of like a swooshy thing right and so when you see that it's like the most distilled version of something you already know so it just it just does enough to remind you of that logo and that's why i think it works and it's simple and you know you could say okay it's simple and this new Slack logo is simple therefore they're both good but you know the hardest thing in the world to do well is simple and i think that Microsoft's logo actually does it really well and Slack's doesn't. Now, I will say this, uh, like with company names, a lot of this comes from what the logo the logo gets imbued with things by what the company does uh, and over time it will develop its final identity to us. And so, you know, it's going my perception of that logo is going to change, but right now you could tell me that was like a United Way logo or some charity or I think it just has nothing to do with Slack to me at the moment. And uh, we'll see if that changes. Yeah. And I think a thing that's hard with
0: Slack, for me, at least when I'm thinking about the company and w- maybe wanting to be critical of them, is that i've been using slack since they were sort of a cool thing that startups and small teams were starting to use and but now even though it hasn't been that long calendar wise they are focused on and like revenue wise it makes sense they're focused on giant enterprise accounts where you know some some company like ibm has thousands of slack teams which each of which has however many channels right and so the 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 growth rate of the company has been so ridiculous and the potential for how much it could still grow is still so large i I think at least in their minds of this enterprise rollout that the existing equity brand equity of all the people like us that thinks of slack as this kind of fun you know like off kilter like the logo was literally off kilter and it had purple in it and a bunch of kind of colors and the plaid and like all the stuff that was sort of a little countercultury and represented the way that we liked Slack and the origins of the company that that we liked may not ha- actually really be important to the many people that will eventually sign on to Slack that currently don't even think about it or use it or really care. And they're the decision makers at, you know, Fortune 500 companies that are like, oh, you want us to pay how many million dollars a year for all this stuff? Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they should throw away all that stuff. But I think that it's very easy for us who have a positive association like you know, it's it, 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 it's OK to it could both be true that it sucks that they threw away brand equity that we liked and it made sense for them to do that.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll just have to see what happens next and whether, you know, how this whole thing plays out. Uh, I I believe that they could have achieved the same goals with a better logo, but, you know, we'll see. it'd be it'd be interesting to see how i feel about it you know after i'm you know used to it i mean you know it's like when a website that you go to all the time redesigns and after like a few weeks you can't remember what the old one looks like and you would be really really weirded out and upset if they went back to it so we'll see right now day one though not a fan yeah and then there's also the always the nintendo wii
0: effect like when the nintendo wii was named and they were like oh Nintendo's going to have a platform the wii But it's still a terrible name it's still objectively bad but in the end it's like it was one of the most profitable and successful game consoles of all time and uh it was fine yeah no i don't think this will hurt slack at all it's just sad yeah i'll go down i'm down with that yeah interpretation um so we've got some follow-up which is the fun thing we get to do now because we're recording in semi-real time about a one-week lag from the show coming out. So we have some follow-up on our last couple episodes, starting with some follow-up follow-up on locks. We were talking about uh, your your lock woes and
1: potential solutions to them. Yeah, so I have two things about the lock situation. Number one is a friend of the show and co-worker of mine, Lyle Troxel, helpfully informed me that the lock company is apparently pronounced schlag like plague uh and uh i apparently this led you to discover that they had a an ad yes. campaign where it said schlag hard to say hard to break
0: hard to say hard to break which i think i think they really should have gone with your proposal of the
1: ad campaign schlag like plague <laughs> i mean i i have to assume that it is actually schlag uh, that it comes from that because it really must be a german word but where i'm pre- fully prepared to believe that it is pronounced schlag well, there's so many names that come from some
0: origin, and then like somebody from France comes across, and then their and their descendants they say, oh, our last name is pronounced look. Le- croix yeah totally, and you're like totally. well
1: okay i mean you get to pick how your own name is pronounced clearly no but okay yes we'll do that <laughs> for you uh and then the second thing about the Schlage locks was that i believe it was mentioned that the possible solution to my lock woes was that don't get a, a sort of an august bluetooth only lock but get a Schlage lock that also has that you know that has a, a keypad so uh you know you're not relying on something as flaky as bluetooth and just very amusingly to me uh, a few days after we recorded i was um I was I dropped my mother off at home and drove away and then she called me and said hey can you come back do you have a key to my house and I'm like what are you talking about you have a Schlage lock." and she's like yeah it doesn't seem to have any power and it won't open so, mm. so you could still have another problem with uh with
0: those. I, I would assume that that is also a potential mode of failure for the August smart lock. You yeah. just were only using it for a week. So you didn't get to the, what if it runs out of power scenario?
1: Totally. Cause it definitely was not hot hardwired or anything. I think it was just a battery in it for, for my August lock. I mean, but anyway, everything worked out. Okay. The, uh, the, the, the second piece of feedback that I, I had was, uh, was just something where I just, I spoke sort of glibly without looking it up. And I just wanted to say that when I talked about the famous dual, between Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, when we were talking about Hamilton uh, last time, it happened in 1804, not 1789. And Hamilton at the time was the ex-Treasury secretary. He had been, uh, Washington's term had ended and he was not in office.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's important to get that timely feedback
1: <laughs> <about> the, <laughs> i didn't want anyone coming and complaining you know? yeah yeah and the the
0: ridiculous of it still stands i think the fact that we have vice presidents and treasury secretaries even if they're not all still currently in you know he was still the vice offices. president too so i yeah, he like was the vice
1: president solves all Kill somebody yeah and they're like hey cut it out man and it was illegal in the state he he, he was living he was living in i think they went to new jersey because it maybe wasn't illegal there but now i'm gonna have to feedback my feedback so let's uh or follow up my follow-up so let's i'll leave it there i did enjoy that part of hamilton which i'm sure they kind of hammed up
0: so to speak a bit um but this like making fun of jersey and everything's legal in jersey and stuff like that like you know those things that are could be a running joke in a sitcom set today and it's 1780s that they uh or 1800s they're still they're already joking about that
1: super well done it's true
0: other piece of follow-up, we were humbled, or at least I was humbled, that on a recent episode of Do By Friday, excellent podcast, we won a Golden Friday, which is apparently the who's whom of podcasters, um, thanks to uh, Marco Arment and uh, the whole crew at Do By Friday for uh, being how you be. That was very fun to to hear us uh, get mentioned on that. And the stats said uh, that some of you joined us, so welcome. Officially
1: also humbled. Ah, officially humbled. Yeah.
0: And then we also have one on salmon, salmon Arm. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. Salmon Arm. Hard to say. Easy to have a murder love triangle <laughs> in. <laughs> it's their slogan
1: when you drive in. That's town. probably not their tourism slogan.
0: Well, you know, I'm offering my services. and just kind of put them out there and then they can use them if they want. Yeah.
1: yeah maybe you could help Slack with their, with their logo problems, too.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm more of a slogan guy, but I think I could probably whip up a... <laughs> a four color circular logo (laughs) so uh brendan Lensick, uh from steam clock um co-worker of mine he pointed out that salmon arm bc i'd sort of said uh authoritatively oh well of course it's on the arm of a river uh but apparently it's on the arm of a lake which is i didn't know lakes could have arms but apparently they can or at least this one does uh and salmon arm is on an arm of a lake can
1: lakes have legs that's my next question
0: well I mean, presumably I, I mean we just got to get into an investigation on Legland. Uh, hydrography.
1: Thank you, Brendan.
0: <laughs> um, and then also in episode uh, three, uh, we touched on electoral reform talking about how British Columbia um, is having uh, was having a referendum on whether or not they should make the uh, electoral system suck less. And uh, a couple folks wrote in, um, lived in, uh, or do live in, uh, places that have better electoral systems, like uh, ranked voting, things like this. Uh, Clark O'Clark, for example, uh, Australian native, uh, wrote in to inform us that ranked voting is indeed awesome, and we should give it a try. And I wish you were giving it a try in BC. I wish we were, but... We are not, because it turns out if you ask people repeatedly in a referendum whether or not they should change their voting system, instead of over time eventually just acquiescing to the truth that we should have a proper voting system, eventually people are just like, stop asking, and we lost by like 15%. So uh, it does not look like it's happening anytime soon. We will have to wait for other places to be the vanguard of uh, things like Voting for the person you want, as opposed to the person that will beat the person you don't want, and uh, things like that. Yeah,
1: especially after watching quite a lot of CGP Grey over the last uh, over over the break, I I could not be more. I'm stronger than ever in my belief that we really need to fix this.
0: Yeah, and of course, like there's all like the thing is always in the details. The problem is always in the details because. Yeah. It's very easy to say, well, our current system is really bad and there's lots of obvious problems with it, and get agreement on that. But then whenever you pitch a specific alternative system, because there are a, an arbitrary number of variations you could have in a different system, and it's almost impossible, or it's definitely impossible to say for sure, this is the Best alternative system, we've evaluated using all simulation and valuation of our particular country or region that the best voting system for us is this one, then it becomes hard to make a pitch that you're like, we should change from this system to this system. And the the referendum that they tried here was, okay, previously they'd proposed specific systems and they'd been narrowly rejected. And so this time they're like, okay, well, let's have a two-part referendum. Part one, uh, should there be electoral reform? And part two, um, what's your feelings on these various systems that are pretty different from each other? And people did not like that. (laughs) They were not stoked about it and then and though no campaign was all about uh well who knows what the government will do if you give them this blank check to change the voting system and they have these three different systems but it doesn't really say exactly how they would all break down and you know all the details of them because they're fairly complicated uh systems and so there was this kind of combination of fatigue and suspicion um so it fell over so any you know tips if you are running a government that would like to implement uh proper modern voting system. Don't let the people uh don't force the people to research all the different systems to vote <laughs> directly on <laughs> no, what they should
1: be. Just just ask just ask should we do something better? Start there.
0: Just start there. Yeah. Um get some momentum. And, and go from there. But I mean it's hard. Like you don't wanna like I totally empathize with the uh and commend the reluctance to just unilaterally change the voting system of your you know, country or state or province, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that it would be good to have a mandate to do that. Um, but maybe something along the lines of like campaign to that, if you elect me, I will do this. And if, or if, you know, this percentage of people, uh, vote or whatever, I don't know. It's hard.
1: Yeah. Maybe in an election, one party says, if you elect us, we want to do this. And then when you get elected, you say, we're going to now do this. Well, without
0: getting totally, (laughs) uh, neck deep in Canadian electoral reform politics, uh, As delightful as that sounds. Which is my other podcast. Um, The uh, current federal Canadian government run by Justin Trudeau, the campaign promise he made was, this will be the, if I am elected, this will be the last election election under first past the post under under this uh sort of traditional the standard system and uh he won quite handily and everyone was like oh wow great we're gonna get electoral reform in canada but it turns out the system he had in mind to replace it um without explicitly really saying this would be really prioritizing the ranked choice as opposed to the other part which is the proportional uh part of of electoral reform um and because his party is the centrist party in in Canada, the Liberal Party is the centrist party. So, yeah, you get to enjoy that. Sigh. Americans. <laughs> but the Liberal Party is basically the the middle ground, uh, and then we have a Conservative Party, which is called the Conservative Party, and then the New Democrat Socialist Party, which is the left party. Um, they the, the middle party is the Liberal Party, and so if you just implement ranked choice without implementing proportional representation, you kind of probably guarantee that the centrist party mostly controls things for probably forever. Um, and although there's some people who would be like you know what that's probably less bad than alternative systems you can imagine that the parties on the left and the right were like whoa 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 no 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 no, no. you're not <laughs> implementing a thing that just makes the centrist party automatically win and um, when once they started opposing like then it kind of the support flipped to be like oh now it politically seems like if you implement the system you're advantaging yourselves basically um and then it kind of made it toxic and then there became this thing of oh well you know if we do proportional representation what if there ends up being like an ultra right wing uh fascist party or something like that and then they start getting seats
1: because of proportional representation and it kind of oh that old that old chestnut yeah and there's ways of dealing with that there sure are i'll just say that i am pro stv single transferable vote and uh and you people can google that on their on their own time it's a good system you should check it out yeah. Yeah. It's good. Uh, so moving on, <laughs> you know, w- you and I share the editing duties for this show. And I was I was working on the previous episode and I realized that when we were talking about uh, the thing in your sink that you use to put uh, trash down that that chomps it up, uh, we said what well, you said, compost disposal. And then I said, uh, yeah, on this show, that's what we call it. And I thought we were joking. And then later I was like, was he not joking? Does he actually think it's called compost disposal? Well, on this show, that's what we call it. Okay. But you know that that's not what anyone else calls
0: it. Yeah. It's actually called a garburetor, but be- no. there were some, we had some <laughs> listeners that weren't familiar with the term. No, it's so actually called so it a garbage better- disposal. <laughs> you don't want to put garbage out in your sink. I think we've
1: done this. I oh my God. I think we've definitely All right. done, well, done this bit. Unrelated to that. So you have a story about compost Yeah, I, Well, I have a story about my my own dishwasher, which is now not making anything clean and water is spewing out of the air oh. thingy. Well, we talked about that that could be a problem yes. a few episodes back. And it is currently a problem in my
0: house. Uh, have you Have you made any steps to attempt to remedy this or are you just currently sad about it? I tried
1: the reset button. well and that didn't work so and that can you unplug it
0: somehow and plug it back in again
1: uh i don't know how to plug it and plug it back in again i did remove some food blockage from at least one end of it which i thought maybe was the problem but has not fixed it so more investigation is needed uh but uh so far i have not had any luck fixing it which is sad before i got
0: to the final conclusion which was that it was the compost disposal in the case of my dishwasher not cleaning things very well, I discovered that you can disassemble a dishwasher a lot more than you think for cleaning purposes. I have seen that yeah yeah and so i started like because i was going in there like oh, there's all this food junk down here and it turns out it's because it's not going through the system properly but um then it's like well oh, it's kind of and it's up in here and you're like oh wow this part comes off and oh this part comes off and like <laughs> suddenly like all these parts pr- I mean, it makes sense like you you have to clean it um food gets in there right but uh yeah so that's also another thing you, you, little knobs and things that seem like maybe they were attached like they actually came off pretty easily well so. let me
1: ask you this follow-up question that i think i know the answer to uh, do you own the place you live? No. Yeah. No. So neither do we. Yeah. And I'm a little bit nervous about, I mean, I'm I'm perfectly capable and, and willing to, you know, handy things up, but uh, I'm a little nervous about doing that when it's not my thing uh and so uh the landlord was here today anyway for an unrelated reason and so i was like hey uh this also and so uh he is coming back this weekend and he's probably also going to try to tackle that just because he also agreed with me that he didn't really want me uh disassembling the dishwasher
0: that is always a good well i mean there's the cleaning versus but yeah i i would say definitely there's a line
1: there's a line somewhere
0: there's a line where it's like user serviceful versus this may not come back together again, uh, disassembly. But I, I, that's actually like kind of one of the topics in my sort of fun facts bag that, uh, I like to sort of promote and share is this, you know, fun fact, uh, renters can fix stuff in their apartments and it's actually often worth it. Like it's very common. I find I've rented always, uh, and, my most of my friends do. We, we're in Vancouver. You're in San Francisco. We're in cities where I am in Oakland, sir. Oakland. You're in the the Bay Area, <laughs> uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, and we're in Vancouver. Two of the most ridiculous yeah. uh, housing markets, yes, uh, in the world. Um, and so we rent and a lot of people we know rent and so you end up with this mentality that well this isn't my place so a i don't want to screw it up and get in trouble or lose my security deposit right and b i don't own it so why like i'm not responsible for fixing things Uh, but there's a minimum bar where are you going to call the landlord because this hinge is squeaky probably not probably not you know uh, especially if you're you know, in our age demographic, where the idea of phone calling somebody horrific. is already like, oh no, horrific. Well, I mean, this watch is currently on fire, but it'll probably get a <laughs> go out if we just leave it. You know, we'll watch it, but you just know, just don't look directly at it. Don't don't look directly yeah, at the it. It knows, it knows that you're upset with it. Yeah, um, and so we have a tendency, we as the greater renters and at least you know, thirty some, twenty something, thirty something renters, have a tendency to not. Uh, fixed little things around the house. And I had this like kind of head smack moment after there was a place that we were renting. And often like we only rent a place for a one digit number of years, right? So you feel like you don't want to, you know, invest money in it. But there's this one doorknob that was driving me just completely... Uh, crazy in one place that we were renting and it didn't quite close properly and the, it was kind of rattly and it was loose and it was just old and bad and it didn't feel like call the landlord level especially because this landlord wasn't super responsive and so i was just annoyed at it and annoyed at it and one day i'm like you know what this is ridiculous i'm gonna try and replace this doorknob uh so i went on wiki how as you do as you do as, as as everyone does the number one source of of tips and important true information and uh, and saw that you basically just pull it off and you just put a new one on. And so go to Home Depot, buy a doorknob that looks roughly similar to the one that we had before. And it took maybe like something on the order of like 10 to twenty dollars and 10 to 20 minutes and then the doorknob was great like it felt so satisfying it clicked in there really well and then every time i use a doorknob I, it made me a little bit happy and we lived there for only one or two years after that but I feel like after two to three weeks of that ten or twenty dollars I got like ten or twenty dollars and 10 to 20 minutes of value out of a the doorknob working and not being you know, bad at its job. And then also feeling good every time I use it. I'm like, oh, hey,
1: I made this be good. No, that is definitely some serious adulting it is serious adulting uh, two years it seems like a very long time to be excited every time you open a door
0: um so <laughs> the I've... excitement might have like plateaued or like leveled off a little bit <laughs> <laughs> or maybe i'm just easily excited it didn't stay constant the whole time <laughs> i'm just like oh my god i'm just gonna open and close this door a few times but it's satisfying and and there's also those little things around the house that you know with just like a budget of t- 20 dollars or less and the normal, just generic grab bag of tools that you probably have accumulated in a box or toolbox of some kind, like a wrench, a screwdriver, and like an X-Acto knife, and a couple other things, like without any fancy tools, like you can do like a loose faucet. Like that's a really common one is like the, the faucet in a lot of bathrooms or sinks in rental apartments over time will get to the point that when you're pointing it around or you're turning it, the whole faucet module will kind of like wiggle. And sometimes it'll leak around the edges a little bit, maybe partially because it's, it's wiggling. And just going underneath, and just often just by hand you can do it or with just a monkey wrench so just adjustable wrench just tighten it up and you're like hey it's just competent now and just little things like that like it's so satisfying you just go fix them I, i'm it, 10 year ago me would be shocked that i would a get around to actually doing these things and be like bother or take it on the responsibility but like once i did a couple i became like
1: addicted to like making things slightly better it's it's glorious yeah so i i think i have a, a a an odd standard for what i think i want to do what i think i should do and what i do around the house and i don't know if i i, I haven't really given it that much thought before so i'm kind of thinking about it now as we're talking but i, I i'm it's 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 interesting to me because i'm i'm a i'm a perfectly capable of doing plenty of things around the house um and and you know grew up with a father who was you know handy and uh and 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 am used to and comfortable you know have like you said have all the tools that that one might have and 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 like like many engineers like fixing things like improving things and all these kind of things and there seems to be like some things that i'm totally okay just doing including things that maybe i i are i shouldn't be but but then other things (laughs) that i like definitely am not and i don't know if there's like an obvious so, so give me an example like what's a thing that you would do that you're
0: like oh this is this is worth doing this is a rental thing that as a renter i can still do this
1: uh and then a thing that
0: you'd be like no ah, no i can't do that it's it's too
1: well it, this is a little bit different than the, when we're talking about because i didn't do this i paid someone to do it but i mean i literally installed a new dryer outlet on the front of my house like so right for the car p- plug in the electric cars right you know <laughs> like had to pull permits with the city and like do building no, inspections but i think that totally and- counts because you're investing
0: time and and effort and attention and money yeah into this place that you're renting for a certain number of years and that when you leave you're not gonna be able to brig the outlet with you
1: yeah so i did that with very little involvement of the land landlord um, <laughs> did you ask permission or you just do it i know i did ask for permission uh it, it uh, some of this is informed by the fact that my landlord uh actually my last few landlords have been have have all been architects hmm. and have been people who will fix whatever problems are in the houses themselves like they don't hire someone yeah that um, can be good or bad and it can be good and bad right so um uh, uh so like um right now we have an issue where uh the, the EB Mud, which is the East Bay municipal something something for basically the people who we buy our water from, uh, sent me a bill for water for the last period that was like double maybe what it should be. And then they sent an email saying, hey, we're pretty sure you have a water leak. Yeah, so I was like, "Huh, that's uh not great." And so we did a little investigating in some of the obvious culprits, you know, that we have new gardeners, did they leave the hose on? No, they didn't. That kind of stuff. And then I've been thinking for a while that our toilet was like constantly running. And in a in kind of like a subtle way where it's like not obvious and not for sure but it just has seemed like that so i was like hey uh landlord i think you know we need to do something about this and he came over and looked at the toilet and he's like yeah we've actually replaced the insides of this a couple times it does seem like it's the same problem again and, and i'll fix it and i have replaced the insides of toilets before so why didn't i just do it i don't know but for some reason maybe it's because theoretically it's their responsibility for the back pay maybe but i didn't ask for it so i i don't know But for some reason, that to me was like, no, I need to get them involved. Yeah, once it becomes
0: serious business, it's like a safety or or just like utilities thing. Anything happens with the house. But in pricing the inside of the toilet, and like it's kind of a black box or white box often. Often. um, to a lot of people. But then when you have a problem and it's like, it's, it's, you know, continually running or the flush lever. It's very simple in there. Yeah. It's really simple. It's just like, oh, there's a lever. And like, I have done it a couple times and then like got better at it. Like the first time I replaced a lever, I put the chain, uh, to the end, like there's a little chain that pulls a plug up when you pull the toilet. And so I put, there's a lever and then you hang the chain on the lever and I put the chain I was like well I guess I'll put it on the end of the lever cuz it'll give it the most leverage. Oh no. You don't want that. No. And so then the, the thing broke again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because also the previous person had put it on the end of the lever. So it broke again. No, yeah, you followed, but that but then it was broken for a reason. Right. And I was like well this is bad. And yeah. so in the second time instead of getting the $6 toilet, toilet flushing lever I got the $12 one and it is amazing. No,
1: it is a huge difference.
0: It's like made out of metal. It's the luxury toilet flusher. And with it came instructions you could actually make sense of for every kind of toilet. And it was like, it had a diagram. It's like, oh, here, that's how to put it at the optimal level directly above the the plunger thing. And then I set it all up. And
1: now every time I, I flush the toilet, I'm like, hey, I did that. It sounds like you just walk around your house thinking, "This is awesome. Look at all the cool things I did." I'm just just pride of every <laughs> object I touch, every turning knobs, flushing toilets. But I I did I fixed I fixed the toilet in my last apartment. So yeah, I, I don't know why in this house I was just like. But you know, and, and then on the on the flip side of that, um, while he was here. Uh, my wife was like, you know, also there's remains this leak here by the ba- bath we told you about. And he looked at it and he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to need to do some re-grouting. And like I am for sure definitely not going to re-grout the tiles in the bathroom.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think most people, most renters wouldn't do that. And I think most of the time when you get to grouting and bathroom and kitchen, when you're dealing with plumbing where if it's done wrong, it might leak into the suite below you or something like that. That's another thing where people tend to... But it's just the general idea is there's probably a lot of things you could do that would make your suite better and that it doesn't take a lot of time or effort uh, and that you just write off. You don't even think of like, well, I can't fix that because it's a rental. And little, especially things that are loose or squeaky or just not quite right, little fixtures and things like that. Just fix uh, there's it. There's after little things you can do. You can just fix it. Yeah. Just go on the on, on the Google and then uh, go on that WikiHow link or maybe even a real website that actually tells you good instructions. You know, it's up to you. You can, whichever way you want to do it. Another one, a lot of people don't do is, uh, putting things on the walls because, you make a little hole. Oh, no. You put things on your walls, people. You got to put things on the walls. Gotta, it makes the place yours. It, Everything feels better. You have yeah. way more space. Yeah. I put a... Um, my dad had put a guitar on his wall because uh, we play... Each of us play guitar sometimes. And once it's on the wall, you see it and then you use it. And then when you put it away, it doesn't take up any space. And so I did that a couple apartments ago. And I was really nervous when we moved because like, oh, I had to I had to put in little drywall screws yeah. um, to, to do it. Yeah. Um, but then when I took it out, I puttying just some putty and then it didn't get painted over it's just this like no. the size of a yeah a nickel of putty well, they didn't care they don't care
1: the next people are going to put stuff in the walls too yeah they
0: didn't care and then they were like oh looks great it's awesome here's your deposit i'm like oh and then i've done it the last two places since then and no one has been annoyed about it at all and it's been great so yeah put stuff on the walls fix your toilets yeah
1: that's great advice. It's great.
0: Yeah. Oh, and then the leaking story. So my, not to be a one-upper. No, no, um, you please, but, you're going to, clearly. Well, my my stepmom is going to be the one-upper because she owns a doggy daycare. And at this doggy daycare, it's on sort of uh, a little more rural land, even though it's close to the city, but it's like 10 minute drive out and uh, lower density. And so on this big lot, there is this kind of small daycare in the middle of it. And she has always had really high water bills. Um, In Vancouver, um, she hadn't been really critical about it because the previous owner had had it and it was was like $1,000 a quarter for water. Um, she doesn't use a lot of water as daycare, but she's like washing the dogs or whatever. And then one month, suddenly, it's like, oh, now it's $5,000. Oh,
1: wow. There's no way I'm using five times as much. And that's a lot of money to a small business. No, that's a like, lot of money to any business for something yeah. suddenly. when some, When anything jumps by 5X...
0: Yes. Um, and so the thing, so immediately she calls the city and she's like, hey, this doesn't seem right. And like, oh, well, maybe there's you know, some, a leak or something, something going on. So we'll we'll come look. And so they send a guy and he comes and he looks and he looks at the meter and he's like, are you sure you're not running water? And no. And they go in, they check all the taps and everything. And he's like, oh, I'm going to have to get a manager. As so a manager comes in, looks around, he's like, does the same dance. Uh, I'm going to have to get a more higher manager. <laughs> <laughs> and so they get like the top water guy in this suburb, and uh he's like, "Oh no, okay, uh, I think we have a problem, and so the amount of water that they had clocked her at was at ten million cubic meters a day <laughs> that i I don't really know the metric system very well, but that still seems like a lot. So he said that she was using or not like not using, but like somewhere leaking more water than the entire pool complex, which is called water mania in Richmond, more than the pool complex used. She was her doggy daycare with like two employees was just just wasted. Just consuming somehow. Yeah. Um, and so they ended up and it turned out it was, it was just this pipe. It just completely disintegrated at some point under the ground and it's, uh, built on kind of a mud aquifer. So it's just all just, just spilling it, creating more mud, huh? Releasing millions of cubic meters, yeah, millions of millions, many, many millions of gallons. And so I assume that's like four feet. <laughs> I mean, a cu- so a cubic meter would be like, <laughs> so three by three by three. To be eighty-one cubic feet, I guess ish. Okay, that does seem like a lot. And then millions of those. That that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So I'm super excited to know what her new water bill is, and I will follow up the show. Ten dollars. Because it, well, maybe <laughs> right? Because she was paying a thousand dollars and went to five thousand, right. and then they're like, "You're using more water than the pool complex the, yeah. is." So um, yeah. very excited to see, and I'll get you all updated. But yeah, so water leaks. If you're paying a lot for water,
1: uh, check it out. Maybe you don't need to be. Yeah fix the leak or don't just assume
0: you're actually using that much water
1: no yeah and i mean this this was again noticeable because it jumped but now i don't even know if the baseline's the right baseline because the the toilet's kind of always been a little bit weird so yeah maybe there's a lake somewhere else you don't know yeah be really interesting to find out uh well i have a fun fact for you yes and uh i'm assuming you already know this um but i didn't know it until recently and i'm very excited so i i thought i would talk about it with you which is this uh fun fact there is a part of British Columbia that is in America
0: there's a part of British Columbia that's in America okay so my mind goes to a couple places but my, but like my number one candidate for what you're talking about is probably Point Roberts Washington
1: Point Roberts Washington yes yes sir. so this is uh, a place uh in my home state of Washington And uh, some facts about it, as of the 2010 census, about 1,300 people live there, although during the summer it swells to about 4,500, most of the visitors being vacationing Canadians. And it is something called, and I just learned this term, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, although I did read the pronunciation guideline. It is a Pina exclave, which is a part of the territory of one country that can be approached conveniently, in particular by wheeled traffic, only through the territory of another country. And so, what this is is it's a basically a suburb of a suburb. There's a place south of Vancouver called Sawasan, and it's about twenty something miles south of downtown Vancouver. Am I saying that right, Sawasin? Yep. Yeah. So uh, the, there's a part of Sawasin, essentially that, due to the uh, 1846 agreement between the Canada and the United States, that the 49th parallel would be the border between the two countries, uh, is below the parallel. Surrounded by water, connected only to British Columbia, but technically in the United States.
0: So there's basically this little stub peninsula that's like, I don't know, a mile across or something like that, that just sticks over that 49th parallel. And when they negotiated it, they didn't know exactly the ground geography but they were like well you know just all the stuff above here and they didn't take in they didn't know that oh you're gonna have this little stub hanging over
1: yeah so they didn't make this mistake with vancouver island which they could because it's like cutting across by the parallel as well they let that go down yeah, but it's a big stub so they're yeah. like hey we're gonna let canada keep the stub part yeah and we got like the you know some of the orcas you know san juan islands or something like that and you got the yeah. the vancouver island i think that makes sense but so and this isn't the only place like this by the way there's like some place in a lake somewhere in the midwest that's like again comically you know uh, por- por- a portion of it is is in uh America that should be in Canada but what I what I find fascinating about this place is, is that is a, f- a couple things uh, first of all there have been it's it's mostly uh, a-, a good relationship between the citizens of Port Roberts Washington and the Canadians in Tsawassen Taw- but there was apparently an incident during the 1973 drought where Americans put up Canadians go home signs which is pretty uh, amusing but Uh, More than that, and and going on today, is the fact that there is only one school in Point Point Roberts, and it only provides uh, for kindergarten, first, second, and third grades. And from fourth grade on, all American children have to take a 40-minute ride through British Columbia, past two borders each direction, crossing back into the United States at Blaine, Washington. In order to go to school.
0: I'd, be, I'd hazard a guess that they probably do not have a lot of families with children in that age that stick around. Uh,
1: they do, actually, though, apparently. Because like, the system will just be like, well, we're busing them for two hours. I guess. there's no So there's no hospital. There's no doctor. There's no dentist. There's no pharmacist. There's no vet. And because American health insurers won't pay for treatment from Canadian providers, Point Roberts residents pretty much always have to go to Bellingham, even though Vancouver is much closer. Oh, man. Huh. I didn't know about that, about the healthcare. I assumed they would just come to
0: our hospitals and we would just cut them a deal or whatever.
1: No, sometimes Canadian citizens apparently go there to if the dollar is doing especially well or poorly to buy things for less money. Oh,
0: yeah, like all the cheese cartel stuff.
1: Yeah. Like there, Well, I mean,
0: there's not a lot of stores there, but a really common thing is... Uh, and we do it all the time like almost everyone does it is go down to point Roberts to pick up a package because a lot of places american websites or whatever will only ship to american addresses not even just because they are like being uh making a big business decision about it but they just make a web form that only accept. what's your postal code i need five digits and it's like uh, i pick your state from a drop down and so you have to send stuff to an american address so there's a bunch of businesses in point Roberts, and probably like as a percentage of the economy of this little town it's like probably more than 50 percent that they have this pickup area where you just send stuff there and you just show up and you're like hey i'm i'm this person or this is the tracking number or whatever and then they charge you a couple bucks and then you pick up your package
1: and you come back over the border yeah insane, so residents say that they're very happy with how secure it is there because they they basically have an international border as their you know as their front door uh the, but I cannot imagine i mean having gone through the the um, now, when I was a, a younger person, I think we've even maybe discussed this on the show. And when you were younger, like going through the the border between Washington and 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 Vancouver, and British Columbia was not a particularly intense experience. You didn't need a passport, even. In no, you didn't. Just driver's license. But these days, and Blaine is pretty serious. And like, I cannot imagine doing that four times, or, or like crossing borders four times every day just to go to school. Um, that that just seems completely insane. Two two other. Uh, Sort of random side facts that I found were amusing about this whole situation. One is that after years of wrangling, uh, the border rules were altered to allow Canadian tomatoes and peppers to come from British Columbia into Point Roberts, Washington, as long as they're pre-sliced. <laughs> which is amazing. That's very like the cheese stuff you told us. I
0: can see why that like, it would take years for someone who could approve that to bother approving that such a specific <laughs> okay, okay, okay. For just for
1: points, Roberts Washington, you can have pre sliced tomatoes and peppers. It's fine. And then uh until nineteen eighty-eight, uh Point Roberts telephone numbers were in the six oh four area code, which is British Columbia, and were served by BC Tel, which is the local telephone company for most of British Columbia. And uh, it led to this weird situation where calls from British Columbia were local calls, while calls from the rest of Washington and the United States were international calls. But that also makes sense, like the way the routing is, like the way the wires, right? You know, that does make sense. What doesn't make as much sense is in 1988, when Point Roberts shifted to my childhood area code 206, the area code for pretty much all of Western Washington, using an exchange Called the 945 exchange, which meant that they had no ability to make local calls to any exchange in either country. (laughs) 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 That is (laughs) Which is... (laughs) Point Roberts. And then the final thing about Point Roberts that I find fascinating is a surprisingly large number of celebrities have lived there, presumably because they were working in Vancouver but didn't have the ability to live in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, Pavel Bure, who was an NHL forward, uh, John Tortorella, who was the coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets for a long time, uh, Nancy Wilson of the rock band Heart. Heart recorded their first album in Vancouver, and uh, two members of the band, including Nancy Wilson, lived in, in Point Roberts. And uh, Katie Sackhoff, who was uh, in Battlestar Galactica the entire time they were filming oh, the yeah. show, she mm-hmm. lived in Point Roberts.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's also way better if to, if you're going to have to cross the border all the time. It's way better to do the quiet, sleepy one there than going
1: to the big, giant one. Oh yeah, I'd much rather go through the Point Roberts one than the than the Blaine one. Yeah. Which
0: I'm sure our <laughs> all, all our audience is very fascinated by Seattle Vancouver
1: border Tuck. <laughs> But oh my god! Like if you if y- y'all out there, if you know of any other places like this, I mean, I've always found it interesting, like countries that are completely surrounded by other countries. Of which, by the way, Canada is one. But um, in general, just this this the weirdness of borders sometimes is is very funny. One
0: I really like is this area in between. So there's Egypt, and then south of Egypt is Sudan. There is two different definitions of the border in between them depending on like who negotiated it and when and there's dispute as to which one is is valid and one of those definitions uh advantages Sudan and the other advantages Egypt so of course they both argue as to which uh which definition of the border is the one true one but an interesting quirk of that is that uh the there is an area therefore that neither country claims as part of their country because uh one uh, you know one will say okay well actually this is the border and that's that's the border but that basically means that neither of them want this little triangle of land in between the two countries that is like one of the only places in the world that no country
1: like wants basically wow so it's basically just that place and antarctica well a lot of people want Antarctica. well yeah a lot of people claim antarctica but there are slivers of antarctica that are not claimed by anybody yeah. So if anyone looks at that, we'll look at it. the Hala'ib
0: Triangle is the name of this nowhere zone, basically.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at a map of it. That is very, very cool. I did not... Uh, or at least very interesting. I did not know about that.
0: It's an interesting kind of like Game of Chicken because it's like there's this land and obviously there's stuff there. But if you start, if you start asserting sovereignty over that land, if you say, oh, okay, well you know, it's here and it's, you know, there's some Egyptians live there, I guess we'll like, collect taxes from them and support them and stuff. Then you're implicitly acknowledging the borderline that makes that part of Egypt, which then advantages Sudan. So they don't want to do that. And so it's this nowhere land. Crazy. So my I have a fun fact today that I would, I kind of think of as an Arek fun fact <laughs> because it's, it's a historical Oh, okay uh, i do
1: tend to do those more you
0: like the historical ones and you have like a this like a depth of of history knowledge um but i have a, kind of a, a fascination with drafts and world wars and i mean world wars are kind of fascinating anyway um and this led me to this fun fact or maybe non-fun fact if you're one of these people uh but the the most dangerous type of soldier rank of soldier you could be in world war one was not like the lowliest grunt soldier in the in the army it was actually a kind of officer
1: huh which i did not expect no i would have thought i mean i guess you know maybe the trenches provided protection yeah so what i
0: in my where this fact came up is that you know sometimes you're falling asleep just like anyone does and you start thinking huh i wonder if there's a global war and then i got drafted what would happen (laughs) That is not a thing
1: that thankfully most people think about
0: when they're about to fall asleep. You know, I'm not a big worrier, but every once in a while, I'm like, "Hmm, I guess I need a plan for this. You know, that's how my worrying works is that, you know, I worry about something and it's like, well, I need to fully understand the consequences of what if that thing happened, you know, like, oh, what if there's an earthquake? Well, now I just need to figure out what if is there an earthquake? And I do all the preparation. That's like, all right. And now I'm perfectly set. Yeah. That makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. Yeah. That's the way my brain works. And then I'm chill about it once it's figured out. And so I had to understand, well, what happens if i get drafted or what should i do or should i you know should i try and uh enlist to be in a particular thing or am i too computery or too old it's like oh well if i am already now computer is good yeah, community seems like a good thing, and I'm also getting old. I'm in my thirties now. It seems like that's good yeah. as far as I don't want to get thrown into the modern version of a trench. But my <laughs> no. thinking was, well, maybe what you'd want to do is like, oh, it looks like there's this, you know, world war is going on, and they're going to start drafting people. Maybe you want to become an officer because you know I have some leadership skills as as a you know a manager at work. Maybe that would be a good way to avoid getting thrown into you know the front lines or whatever and apparently in world war one that was a really bad approach because the the first layer so for anyone not to get too super deep into military organization but generally there's kind of two groups of people in the armed forces there's the the officers which are the people who have been trained for leadership and then there's the enlisted the enlisted core i guess and that's the people that is the majority by numbers and that's the people who are actually just basically just drafted in and they work their way uh, up and they are the the most of the people you see in something like you know safe and private rhyming they're the privates you know right
1: right there in the name
0: right there in the name they're the privates um, and that's the that's the majority of the people that make up the armed forces right and so i think oh okay well if i would go be a leader person and then, then you know that seems like that would be safe um <laughs> in this made up <laughs> a leader person sure i
1: think that's the technical term
0: sure right the leader person because you know i'm obviously extremely well qualified for my understanding of being ready to be in the armed forces and lead them <laughs> yeah yo, you've proven to me i've got all the terminology terminology correct yeah you're right there um, so, but it turned out that at least in World War one that what was happening is that they had all of these schools that um you know were you know universities and stuff like that, which of course are seen as as teaching leaders to get ready for uh initially the war for industry. And then now for the war, and they were all taught that how honorable it is to uh, be brave in battle and uh, to dying dying for one school is an honor. Said one of the, the students graduating from these schools at the time. Right, and so it's very like disagree.
1: I'm gonna say, but
0: fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not you know dying for anything. You know, maybe maybe some things. Not my school is not you know. <laughs> well, I've not yeah, <laughs> definitely not my school um but there's this this um perception that uh they were really well they were really well prepared um to lead these people into battle and especially in World War 1 leading people into battle was literal leading
1: you were at the front
0: you were at the front you were expected uh, to literally lead the people um yeah. and when you're leading a charge during trench warfare and you're obviously an officer right. but you're not experienced enough to like know how to do it well right. uh apparently the there was a span where the average life expectancy of an of a junior officer on the western front was 42 days 42 days yeah, it's not very long no no not not long enough to figure out how to not suck at being a junior officer on the western front no before. i feel like
1: day 40 i'm like ah, i'm starting to figure this out and then ooh. like i can put my boots on properly now yeah, and yeah 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 i just figured out where all the you know the Toothpaste is, or something. I don't know
0: what you do. I've learned not to salute Lieutenant Dan, and you know, I've got all like the basic stuff you learn on the first day. down Dang, now. that is a Thoroughback reference. Ah, uh, it's a good movie, man.
1: Is it? Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll keep that for it's another good. time. It's good. It's not okay. Have you watched that in the last uh, many uh, years?
0: I don't know. Maybe not in the last ten years. Is yeah. it? Has Forrest Gump become inappropriate? Uh, or no? I don't know about that. I just I'm not sure that it holds up. The problem with the problem with, with sometimes when we talk about movies is that you know so many movies that are very good in like the artistic masterpiece way.
1: Yeah, but I don't. I'm not
0: judging it against those. Well, I don't know. Are you sure you're not? Yeah, because no, no, like, no. For sure, I'm not. Because, like Forrest Gump, I think I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'm in a little bubble of people who are not critical enough of of the stuff they watch. But I think Forrest Gump is like you know again, uh, Steven Spielberg tom hanks yeah it's uh, like wait, steven spielberg no uh is it
1: not nope what's robert zemeckis
0: nope. uh well you got to give it tom hanks though he's always fun to watch i think that's the <laughs> thing with forrest gump <laughs> you do have is to give it to tom hanks that's true. you have to give it to tom hanks that guy no you for sure um, do. you for sure do. and and the thing with forrest gump is or at least i classify it as one of those movies that you know it's not the movie i don't know if it's people's favorite movie or the movie that is most important but it's just kind of like oh yeah there's a bunch of good stuff in that movie it's mm. kind of like oh, it makes me happy to think about that
1: mm. no? i don't know i i listen first of all no i am not judging it you got to judge things against things that are their peers right like if you're going to judge things because
0: so what's a peer what's a peer of forrest gump
1: that you think is that it's like a better
0: version of the same thing.
1: I don't know if there's any other versions of exactly that same thing. It's a, it's a pretty. I'm like, I'm not asking unique. for an ultra movie that follows a man through no, each but like decade fun, as he accidentally gets fun comedy dramas from 1994. I don't know. I would have to do a little bit of. I would have to do a little bit of thinking, but I just feel like it's not gonna be high on my list. Like, I, I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's, it's fine. It's just a little like he's just everywhere. All the time. That's you know, his thing. Some of the... Some of the I don't he know. He meets all like, the presidents. Yeah. And uh, the special effects have not held up well. He
0: inspires almost every cultural
1: movement yeah, yeah. He, in America. Every <laughs> single thing that has ever happened that's mattered during his lifetime is is thanks to him. And now I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch Forrest Gump and it's going to be like Dumb and Dumber level of... <laughs> no, but like, uh, I don't know. I feel like, you know, if you look at the movies from 1994, it won Best Picture. I definitely think that should have been the Shawshank Redemption
0: i'll agree with that yeah
1: uh, sure. and you know i just i I just don't think it it's held up that well it's a it's a perfectly fine fine film don't hate it i like four weddings at a funeral better that's also 1994 uh most people like pulp fiction better i'm kind of less interested in pulp fiction than most people i know quiz show i'm just looking at the best picture nominees from that year sure and uh, quiz show yeah probably not either and uh although i do love uh rob morrow and um, yeah, uh, the Shawshank Redemption. I really think that's the one.
0: Yeah, I mean, Pulp Fiction and and Shawshank Revenge Redemption. I would argue were better than 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 Forrest Gump. Yeah, than Forrest Gump. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, but. I don't know. I have fond memories of it. Maybe I got to rewatch it and then
1: reevaluate. I would have to. I mean, you know, it, it was just you're looking at it from all these different ways. I would have to think about what else. I mean, True Lies came out in 1994. I like that more than Forrest Gump.
0: Ah, oh, yeah. People don't talk about that movie. That I, movie's great. I haven't seen it in a long time. Do you yeah. think it holds up? Have you seen it recently?
1: Uh, no. I don't know if that holds up because I have not seen it recently. But I did love it.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I kind of want to
1: rewatch that. I don't really want to rewatch Forrest Gump, which for me says something. <laughs> yeah, because you watch everything. Yeah, just the point
0: was that uh, it turns out. Uh, you don't necessarily want to be a junior officer. You want to already be a senior officer by the time the war comes around.
1: Sure. Yeah, no, no. You want to be a general, right?
0: Uh, yeah. If you're a general, you're probably not like going up over the trench or the philosophical equivalent of the trench in, in our
1: future war. Yeah. So whatever the war was that like had the least number of casualties, <laughs> you want to have become a general because of that one. Yeah, and then yeah, be and then there for the bad one. Roll on to the next one. I, th- I think that happened in the Civil War a lot, by the way. I-, I think a lot of a lot of generals had come out of the like Mexican American War and some of the other wars sure. in the previous reasonably re- recent era, which were not like e- the technology hadn't gotten there. So the Civil War is one of the bloodiest wars, uh, certainly in American history. I think it's the bloodiest war, um, but. Uh, if not it's one of them just because the the tactics were shockingly behind the technology yeah so they were using like tactics for when people are like facing each other in a revolutionary war type scenario but then they were using weapons that could accurately hit from much much farther away and so like just and the medicine wasn't great either so just like a crazy number of people died very needlessly i mean all war to a large extent but that war especially a lot of people died just because the tactics weren't great and i think that was like where that started so there were probably people who were in Previous wars, but before that, where they didn't have that level of casualties and then were generals by the time the Civil War started.
0: Yeah, and all this might be moot because if there really is like another world where I don't know if... There's not going to be trenches. Sheer the quantity of people that they needed or could make use of may not scale in the same way anymore, given the weird new realities that we have of modern times. Um, And so what you do want to do is uh, if you are a tech person... Or other productive members of society, and you want to not be thrown into the uh, the virtual trenches of World War III, uh, work for a company that does contracting for the military, and then uh, you, apparently you'll be pretty good, or or start one or be oh. involved in one in some way right. or you know. Good to know. So you do the war profiteering thing instead yeah. of the uh, you know trench warfare. Sorry, it's an official fun fact tip. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So I have, a, I think this, this is a small one, but it's kind of follows the theme of, of fixing stuff and putting stuff up on your walls, uh, from before, which is, uh, you know, adult in corner, uh, as we'll call it on the show. Um, so a common thing you try to put stuff up in your walls and you got to find a stud in the wall. Um, I, I have had to do that, yes. You have to do that. Uh, well, you don't have to. You could put in a drywall screw and then screw the thing into the drywall screw, but that's more annoying and it makes a bigger hole and it's a little more intimidating if you're like, uh, I'm a renter, I don't really put things in walls. You want to ideally uh, nail something into the actual wood behind the wall instead of into the into the drywall which is only like a, a few millimeters thick so you want to ha- find a stud which uh you can use a stud finder which is these little uh plastic things you can get for like 10 or 20 dollars from home depot or whatever and you, you you just um you pick it up It they're designed for you to to put them on your own self and have it beep and then say ah look i found a stud that's the <laughs> kind of main purpose but you can also put them on the wall and sometimes sometimes they find uh the the beams of wood under behind the wall but in my experience it's pretty common that they'll they'll get false alarms and they won't pick things up or they'll be give you kind of confusing results if the wall behind it doesn't actually line up to exactly what um you know there's maybe wires behind there or other things and so do you think you get more false positives or false negatives i think i get more false positives it tends to on the side of beeping when there isn't actually a stud there
1: okay That's a... Yeah, they should do it the other way, but okay.
0: (laughs) Dear Stud Incorporated. Um,
1: (laughs) I really hope that's the name.
0: Uh, So uh, something I found on WikiHow or something uh, similar uh, that has been super useful to me... uh, I think that's the
1: only bookmark you have on your... (laughs) (laughs) on your
0: computer. I just mentally... Anytime I Google a thing and then some website full of ads tell to teach me a thing, in my mind, I just file that as having been on WikiHow. Oh, it's just WikiHow. Bonus points if there's like a bad illustration. Um, And so... But if you are not quite sure where the studs are, the walls generally uh, have vertical wooden slats the studs they're vertical and they're fairly evenly spaced and so most places you have uh baseboards around the bottom of the wall and those baseboards will virtually always or if they're done competently uh will have nails in them where the studs are and so you can actually lean down and peer at your baseboard and you'll see holes evenly spaced you know but a foot or two apart or in that range uh that even and that's the spacing of the studs and you can find out oh there's a stud here and then trace up and then uh it's worked for me so far it's a pretty good little hack so this is a stud finder you can use and that's great but if it's not working uh then uh check out the the stud the stud holes in the
1: pasteboard yeah that's great see here what i thought you were going to say was that uh you could measure like how many inches between
0: yeah they said you can do that but i'm i'm not going to do that no, it's probably not going to work. And B, you're going to screw it up.
1: And C, yeah. you should not do that. <laughs> and D, or whatever letter we're at, um, it has changed over time. So you would need to know exactly when your house was built and who built it and all these other things. Because like, it's mostly... And if they did it right, and if there's a window there, then
0: they'll do it differently. Yeah, it's no good.
1: Yeah, it's mostly 16 inch on center these days, but it used to be 24 or 12 or like old houses and they didn't necessarily conform to different you know like you just don't most people unless it's pretty recent construction that's not a good thing but that this this thing about the nails i i had no idea that's really cool yeah and then you can just save the stud finder for finding yourself